we're in a brand new series. And so in this series, we're talking about the hard sayings of Jesus. Now here's the, things about, here's the thing about the hard sayings of Jesus. Some things Jesus says that are hard to understand. Do you know what I mean? When I say hard to understand, it's just like, exactly what did he just say? And you just don't know. And then there are other things that Jesus says that are hard, but not because we don't understand. The fact is they're hard because we do understand. And so we're going to be addressing both those types of hard sayings. There's a lot of things that Jesus, in fact, I was thinking yesterday, I might do this series every summer. This is going to be our summer series. You can keep coming back and um, you can find out what we're talking about. Let me give you a, a, a brief uh, description today. Um, we're, we're talking about what Jesus says about what, who, what directs our lives. What is the focal point? What is the true north of our lives? Um, on the 29th, we're going to be talking about what Jesus says, hate your parents. What do you do with that? We're going to find out if you just come on. Um, on the 5th of uh, <clears throat> August, <clears throat> we're going to talk about the unpardonable sin. This is a very um, important one to me. Uh, and then on the 12th, we're going to talk about judging. What does Jesus say about judging? And then when Jesus talks after that, repent or perish. And then what does he say about the rich? Now, it's important here, by the way, on that last one, what Jesus says about the rich. You do know that he's talking about every person sitting in this room. When he's talking, and here, you know, I don't want to take too long to do this, but if you've had a meal, if you... If you went into your closet and had choices of clothes to put on, if you drove here or took mass transit, if you go to McDonald's and have a professional chef give you your meal, you are what the Bible calls rich. And so we're going we're gonna to find out all that, not all, good night, I hope. We can do the best we can, but we're probably not going to find out all, but we're going to find out a, a great deal of some of the controversial things that Jesus says, and we're going to see if it doesn't have application into our lives. But here's the deal. You're going to be tempted to go to so many and do so many things other than pursue Jesus, other than come. You're going to have things to do, right? Next week, it's not going to be rainy. It's going to be all, every bit of summer, and you're going to be like, mm, go and connect with the congregation and, and fellowship with the church or Coney Island. Hmm, I really do like those hot dogs. And so you'll be tempted. You'll be tempted. And, um, and you'll miss out. You'll miss out. So I don't want you to miss out, all right? Work on your tan line after the service, but before that, just come here and um, let's come together and love each other and fellowship and eat with one another as we eat after the service. Um, let's do that together so that we could grow together. Don't you want to grow together? Amen. I want to grow together too. So let's go ahead and pray and get right into today's text. Father, thank you so much for this opportunity um, to not only uh, preach your word, but to hear your word. Lord, convict us. You know where we are, oh God. You know the different places in life we are. Some of us have been clean for decades, and some of us can't put a few hours together. But either way, Lord, you are good and you are with us, and you are for us. 
So we thank you, O oh God. We thank you for your love and your kindness. We thank you that you are with us and that you're for us. And we thank you that you draw us to yourself. For we do pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Every one of us, every one of us has a guiding light or a north star that helps us make the decisions that we make. Every one of us. So for instance, when I was growing up, there was a, um, I grew up, in, I'm Puerto Rican, I grew up in a Puerto Rican neighborhood. There was a real um, uh, credo that you lived by. There wasn't much, but one of the credos that I lived by growing up, Puerto Rican, Puerto Rican neighborhood, is you can't date or sl slash sleep with your boy's girl. Make sense? Right? So, okay. So, all right. Oh, you went out with Jose 15 years ago, and it's been over. I can't date you. You're disqualified from dating. It's like, a, it's like a rule. And so, whenever you had an opportunity, not that any rule, and that any of us really adhered to it. We wanted to. It was, a, it was an aspirational uh, uh, point. But, but here's the thing. Here's the thing. That helped inform our decision. That was like our true north. You know that you have, and I have, true norths, things that help inform us of our, of our decisions. Matter of fact, many of us can point to where we are now, whether that be good or bad, because of our guiding light, our direction in life. So there's a bunch of different um, true norths uh, that people believe. And the reason that uh, what we're going to talk about today is hard, the reason that it's difficult to hear what Jesus has to say today is because he's going to bring you to true north, and it's going to be the opposite of what you think. It's not going to be what you might think in life to be the guiding, directing thing in your life. Let me give you some guiding and directing things that you may have just in case you're not sure of what I'm talking about. Follow your heart. Follow your heart. That is a guiding and directing principle that helps you to make decisions. So you're, you're in a situation, and it's a choice between this or that, and your friend comes up to you, and he says what you've heard in every Disney movie you've ever seen in your life Disney got it so wrong. Oh, my gosh. In fact, they got it so wrong. Every time my kids used to say, uh, used to watch a Disney movie, they could tell you, I go, please don't follow your heart. Your heart is a wretched thing to follow. Do you, have you, has anybody here ever followed their heart? Has anybody here ever followed their heart and done jail time because of it? Yeah, yeah. Don't follow your heart. Following your heart is a terrible idea. So, I, I, and I know you grew, uh, okay, so here's the deal. We grew up with that, with mother's milk. We took it in with mother's milk, right? And so we think, but the reason, and I'm kind of making fun of it, but let me tell you why that's such a bad idea. If you follow your heart, your heart changes over time. And the fact is, what you longed for in your heart at 16, you would rebuke the way where you are now. Isn't that true? In, in fact, I, um, I forget who said this. Um, they might have even said it here. But it was so piercing to me. Um, it was uh, uh, Homer Simpson. He starts to drink a beer, and he goes like this. Oh, man, I, I do, uh, future Homer, I don't envy that guy. 
and then he keeps on drinking his beer. And it's, see, it's funny, but the fact is, is that there's things that are a desire of our hearts that are absolutely no good for us. And so to follow your heart is to follow a flawed thing that will only give you what you think you immediately want, but in the end will not satisfy. But that's a guiding light. That's a defining principle. It's why some of you left the job you're in. It's like some of you left the marriage that you were in. It's why, because you followed your heart. Terrible thing. Terrible thing. It's a, it's a terrible guiding light. Um, there's a, another one. You have to do what's right for you. Hey, man, listen to me. You got a big decision? Do what's right for you. This is a terrible idea, to do what's right for you. Here's why. Your idea of what's right, your idea of what's right changes. It changes as you grow older. And if you don't believe me, when you look back at some of the decisions that you made as a 15-year-old, do you not look back and go, jerk? Do you not do that? I do that. I go, you're such a jerk. I still live with the consequences of that stupid decision. Thank you very much, Junior Edwin. What about when you were 25? Do you look at some of the decisions that you made and go, jerk? I got to take medication for the rest of my life because of what you did there. I can't believe you did that. But in your, t in your mind, you did what was right for you. Now, here's what I've discovered. I look back, because I'm a little bit older now, I look back at the 35-year-old self, and I look back and go, jerk. I've got all sorts of struggles in my marriage because of that stupid thing you get. Oh, my gosh. And then I'm 45. What do you think my 55-year-old self is going to say about me? <laughs> you too. You too. So what I'm trying to say is that you are generally a jerk to your older self no matter where you are in life. You see that, right? And that's why, and that's why doing what you think is right might not. Listen, you have a terrible marriage. It's falling apart. It's, it's really painful. You go, you know what's right? What's right is that I'm become happy. There's another one. Doesn't God want me to be happy? That's another one. And so what you do is you divorce the relationship, you move into, with someone else, and then you realize that that person acts exactly the same way as the previous person because the problem in the relationship wasn't the other person. It was, but you did what you thought was right, and you laid havoc to your past. Do you see what I'm saying here? Okay, so I don't need to build this case anymore. You and I have a northern, a northern star, a directing principle, a guiding light that guides us, and Jesus is going to come against it, and he's going to come against it with one of the most offensive things you've ever heard. Now, if you're a Christian and you've been here for a while, you go, oh, but that's not offensive, but I'm talking about in culture in general, what Jesus is going to say is that is the opposite of what the culture would say. And here's what he's going to say. He's going to say that it's the scriptures that, are, that should be our guiding light. It's the Bible. And at that point, if you're here for the first time, if you've been here for a, very, you know, for a little while, you go, oh, man, 
I'm not down. That's crazy. The Bible. Are you kidding me? In Leviticus it says, in Deuteronomy, do you really believe this? And you go, no, 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 no. Even if you've been with us for a while, and even if you've been pursuing God, you go, yeah, yeah, yeah. But that was for, and I've heard Christians, Christians in this room, not necessarily in this room, but in this church, Christians say, but that was for back then. That's not for now. And Jesus is going to go, oh my gosh, no. You got it all wrong. It's the Bible that we go to for our source of true north. So Jesus is going to offend every one of us. It's going to be pretty cool. And we're going to need to either submit ourselves to him or become our own authority, to which I would just say, caution. Don't be your own authority. You're a terrible authority, as am I. Okay, so let's go into the scriptures that we're going to look at today. Um, Matthew chapter 5, verses 17 through 20. What's really exciting about this is that we're looking at the Beatitudes, um, not the Beatitudes, we're looking at the Sermon on the Mount. Beatitudes just happened just before this. And so we're looking at the Sermon on the Mount, and Jesus is really getting into the thick of his sermon right now. Like, he's really going to tell us what it's all about. And so, if you will, would you stand in light of reading God's word. The reason that we stand is not because of any other reason other than God is wonderful and his word, we want to be reminded. We want to be reminded that God's word is true. So we stand in, uh, let me use an old word, reverence to God's word. Did you know this is why we, we preach from up here but we sing from down there? Did you know that? The reason that we do that is because we want to, in everything we say and do say, that God's word is higher than everything else. We want to illustrate that physically. We want to say that verbally. We want to say that there is nothing higher, meaning in authority, than God's word. So let's read God's word together. Verse 17, uh, Matthew chapter 5, verse 17 through 20, if you could... Read, read with me. If not, you could listen along. Uh, one, two, three. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen, will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Therefore, anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commands and teaches others accordingly will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. This is God's word. Please have a seat. Did I say that the series is called The Hard Sayings of Jesus? Yeah. Yeah. So there's two things. There's two things that I want to point out that's not necessarily in any point that I'm going to bring up, but I think it's important to bring up. You could break this up into two sections, 17 through 19 and 20, and verse 20. 
So 17 through 19, this is for those who would say, we don't need the Bible. You know what? Just practice the golden rule. I mean, we don't need the Old Testament. We're New Testament Christians. Beloved, these are mistakes. Every bit of this is God's word. Every bit of it is God's word. And so I don't even like the fact that some of our Bibles have red letters in them as if to say that the words that Jesus said are any, any more God's word than say what was said in Deuteronomy or Leviticus or Exodus or Joshua. This is God's word. I know for some of you that's a shock, but every bit of it is God's word. And so when Jesus comes and he says, do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Jesus is saying, you can't throw this stuff out. You can't throw it out. We got it. This is God's word. And if we are going to get to know who God is and enjoy him and find out what he wants for us and from us, it's going to be through God's word. By the way, relationships in general, as a rule, are built through communication, words. So whether you write love letters to your spouse, speak to them on the phone, talk to them in person, if you're going to get to know your spouse, you're going to have to use words. If you're going to want your spouse to know that something hurts you or discourages you, you're going to want to talk to your spouse. True with your best friend. True with every relationship that you have in life. Why would the relationship with God be any different? Your relationship with God is one that is built by getting to know who he is through the word. So Jesus is saying, but there's two, there's two ways you could fall off that horse of not getting to know, right? One is you could throw away God's word and you could go, oh no, I don't want to have anything to do with God's word. God's word doesn't have any value or meaning to me. And the other is in verse 20. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. What Jesus is saying is that you could obey every single little thing and do it with the wrong emotion, with the wrong motivation. So we have a bunch of sinners in this room. Everyone who is either speaking or listening or, you know, wandering off, every one of us fall on one side or the other of that one. Some of us think because, oh, no, 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 no. I don't drink. I don't smoke. I don't curse. We think, oh, I read my Bible. Oh, look, I'm here at this service. I'm obeying God. And therefore, God must love me. You're wrong. You've missed it. If you're saying, oh, I don't need any of that. Listen, I could have church in my, you know, and you don't do anything that God says. You just obey the golden rule, say. You're wrong. Both the hell's angel and the holy roller are wrong. There's another way. There's a third way. It's not even a way in the middle. It's a totally different way of approaching, reaching who the Lord is. This will, let me tell you why you need to listen to this. Because this will affect the way you do marriage. Wives, some of you are miserable in your marriage right now because you don't know what God's word says about wives. 
Husbands, some of you are miserable or making your wife miserable because you don't know what the word says. Some of you right now are struggling with an addiction because you don't know what God's word says about it. Some of you right now will sooner run to a meal or a video than you would run to Jesus when you're stressed because you don't know what God's word says. You see, this encapsulates, this touches every area of our lives. And if you don't get what Jesus is saying here, you're going to hurt yourself. So listen in to what Jesus is saying. Let's look at, well, there's three things that we see Jesus saying here. One, he tells us about the nature of the Bible, the point of the Bible, and the function of the Bible. Those are the three things. But let's go to the first one, the nature of the Bible. The nature of the Bible is God's word. Therefore, it is true. The nature of the Bible is God's word. Therefore, it's true. Let's see that in verse 18. For truly I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter not the least stroke of the pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. The nature of God's word is eternal. It is God's word. It outlasts everything. It'll outlast your opinion. It'll outlast your relationships. It'll outlast your temptations. It'll outlast everything. It's God's word. And since it's God's word, you and I should Know it to be true. Now, here's, here's a trick question. Or not a trick question, but here's a question. Is there anything in the Bible that you don't like or disagree with? Anybody? Anybody? Tons of stuff. Absolutely. If, if you don't have your hand up, it's because you don't read the Bible, right? There's tons of stuff here. Women, let me see. Oh, that, that whole thing about submitting to your husband. You just love that, right? Yeah, I know. Bunch of holy rollers in this place. Men, men, that whole thing about sacrificing for your wife till you die. Looking like Jesus in the process. Of course you love that. That's your favorite passage in the book. Yeah, right, right, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's the point. That's the point. The point is, is that there's a ton of stuff that we read in here, and if there's stuff in here that you don't either disagree with or don't like, you're simply not, you're not reading, you're either not reading it or you're not reading it thoughtfully enough. You're not taking it seriously. There's stuff here that makes my stomach flip. Beloved, if I disagree with the scriptures, who's wrong? Right. Let me ask you another question. This might be a better one. If you disagree with the scriptures, who's right and who's wrong? God is right and I'm wrong. Now, okay, so I have people in this. Now, not everyone here is a Christian, and if you're here, is a, if you're, if you're here and you're not a Christian, let me start speaking to you because I know we have people who, like, you know, you took a, a class in, in college that said that the Bible was just made by man and it was put together and all this other stuff and that it has no uh, authority and all that other stuff. Let me just speak to you for a second, okay? First of all, I would say everything that you ever read in your whole life was put together by a man. And that doesn't stop you from understanding that things are authoritative. In fact, you've read things that you believe are authoritative. That was put together by a man. And what I mean by man is mankind right, like people, 
right? And so, if that's the case, if that's the case, then you already can go one step further. Now, secondly, the Bible says that the word of God is inspired by God. That means that, that these guys were writing down what God wanted them to write down. So it has an extra layer of validity. But let me tell you why I really, really, one of the biggest proofs why I believe the Bible um, to be true is that in every, the Bible insults and offends every culture at a certain point. Now, you can't say that, for instance, let's choose the Quran. The Quran was basically written in the Middle East. It's adhered to in the Middle East. If you're in the Middle East, the Quran makes perfect sense. Yep, this is how women should behave. Yep, this is how men should behave. Yep, this is how relationships should be done. Yep, this is who God is. There's no controversy there. If you take it outside of there, then you, know, you have controversy or not, depending on where you go. That's, there's no place that you can go in the world that the Bible is not really, really, really offensive in one place or another. Let me give you an example. In America. In America, we love what the Bible says about forgiveness, especially if we're the ones who need the forgiveness. We think it's absolutely essential. Forgiveness, you, oh my gosh, you mean you forgive me? I'm forgiven? My shame is taken away? You've taken... Oh my gosh, I love what the Bible says. And now you're asking me to forgive? Oh, okay, I need to grow in that. But I love what the Bible says on forgiveness. But in America, we hate what the Bible says about sex. It's offensive. Oh my gosh, you mean marriage is between one man and one woman for each other? Oh my gosh, that's so old and ancient. That's so offensive. You mean you only have to sleep? How could you know? if it's going to be any good, unless you sleep with them before you're married. Now, now, kids, listen up. This is important. Because this is the only part of the sermon that kids actually listen to. I said sex, so it's like, oh, we're here. Let me tell you something. I promise you. Listen to me. Kids, listen to me. I promise you. It'll be good. It'll be really good. Like, wonderful. You don't even have to experiment on but here's the thing. In America, love, forgiveness, hate what the Bible says on sex. But now, let's go to an African country. What the Bible says about ethics in terms of sex, they would all agree with. They would go, of course, yes, in theory at least. They would go, yes, this is absolutely right. What the Bible says about forgiveness, women, don't cheat on your husbands. Husbands, don't cheat on your wife. There should be a, a loyalty. There should be a covenant between you that bonds you together. They would all agree with that. But what the Bible says about forgiveness, they, are, you, are you kidding? Imagine, imagine being a Tutsi and, and, and having, your, having your wife raped and murdered in front of you, having your sons castrated, and then having your eyes plucked out. Imagine you were, you were in the genocide in Rwanda. And then I came with my scriptures and I said, well, here's what the Bible says about sex. And you're like, oh my gosh, that's absolutely true. But now, here's what the Bible says about forgiveness. How would that culture respond? You 
are an evil man saying demonic things. How could you say, forgive what those people did to me? They need to pay. You see, the Bible, that's the reason why I believe that the Bible is true. The Bible offends every culture at a certain point. doesn't matter what culture you are, the Bible will offend you, which suggests to me that the Bible is not, it's not earthly in nature. It has a heavenly component to it. And that's why we say that the Bible is true. Now, I know I didn't answer all your questions, but what about, isn't there the contradiction? Is it, listen, I only got 30 minutes, so I can only answer so much. But if you keep coming, we'll answer some of those questions. All I'm trying to do is make the case that the Bible is true and has, is heavenly in origin. Is that okay? Secondly, let's look at verse 19. The, so the nature of the Bible is God's word, therefore it's true. The point of the Bible is Jesus. Therefore, it is life. Look at verse 19. Therefore, anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commands and teaches others accordingly will be called least in the kingdom of of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Now, I want you to move up to verse 18. For truly I tell you, Until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen will be by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. You see, Jesus is speaking about what he's going to do, what he's going to accomplish, what he's going to fulfill. Over and over and over again, Jesus says that I am going to fulfill here in this text. For truly, I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, I'm sorry, um, verse 17. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law of the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but what? Fulfill them. This is about Jesus. Now, this is important because you could go into your Bible and obey everything that you see in the Bible. Dietary laws, ceremonial laws, every kind of legal laws, ethical laws. You can obey everything and miss the boat entirely. The whole Bible is about Jesus. Over and over and over again, the Bible will tell you the Bible is about Jesus. It's not about you. And so what that means, if the Bible is about Jesus, we need to start reading it Christocentrically rather than self-centeredly. So when we read the Bible, the reason I love my wife like Christ loved the church is it's because of the way Christ loved the church. So I don't see myself as a martyr. I see myself as a person who's living out Christ loving the church and loving my wife. Does that make sense? In other words, so here's my wife, right? And she's acting all sorts of rebellious and being, I don't know what your wife is like. Maybe she's, um, maybe she's like, a, have you ever seen that? They just recently canceled it, uh, Roseanne, right? Have you? Oh my gosh. I don't want to marry a wife like that who will cut you down at every chance, will make jokes about who you are, and just like, but let's say that's your wife, right? And then she's cutting you down and all that stuff. I am called, if that's my wife, I am called to love her. And when she starts cutting me down, I go, wait, Jesus, 
Is this how you felt when you were being mocked? When you were being abused? When you were being discouraged? When you were being taken advantage of? Is this how you felt? And then as I feel what Jesus felt in that moment, because I'm feeling it right now, I can go, and you did that all for me? And you loved me? And extended it? That's incredible. That's so beautiful. What do I do? I am filled with his love. And what happens afterwards? I overflow that love to my wife. Why? Because it's no longer cops and robbers. It's now the biggest sinner in the room gets to love another sinner. I'm the biggest sinner in the room because my wife is doing this to a pretty bad husband, but I did this to the perfect holy God who loved me perfectly. Do you see that? Do you see how um, forgiveness, we were just talking about forgiveness. You know, you know oh my gosh, they, they uh, horrible things they did to you when you were kids, either physically abused, sexually abused, verbally abused, whatever abuse happened, um, emotional abuse, whatever abuse happened, and then you come to Christ, and then you have this, Christ starts pointing out this bitter thing inside of you, and you go, oh man, I don't want to forgive these people. These people don't deserve my forgiveness. Oh my gosh, beloved, it's an opportunity for you to spend time with Jesus and say, Jesus, do you forgive me? What have I done to you? Have I ever? And then you realize, oh my gosh, what put Jesus on the cross was my sin. You want to talk about physical abuse. You want to talk about being molested. It's what put Jesus on the cross. Man, if I start sensing that and that I've been forgiven as wretched as I am, I'm 10 times worse than they are because they did it to another uh, sinful human being, but I did it to a perfect, holy, and pure God, then I overflow that. As the musicians come up, you see that the point of the Bible is Jesus. The reason I obey, the purpose for my obedience is Jesus. Jesus did it for me so he can do it through me. The function of the Bible is gospel life. Therefore, it transforms. And in verse 20, he says, For I tell you that unless righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. Beloved, this is so important. This is super duper duper important. If you come to Christ, there has to be a sense where our lives start being transformed. Sometimes in little ways, sometimes in big ways. Now, it's important because we're a church and we don't want to raise up Pharisees. You have no idea where someone has come out of. So you don't know how much growth God has given that person. Therefore, you are not a very good judge as to another person's growth. Got it? But you can check your own heart. You can investigate your own heart. You mean there's no more love than there was before? There's no forgiveness? There's no surrender unto Christ than there was before? You're still the shot caller in your life? You mean Jesus is just a really great suggester, not the God King of the universe? You mean Jesus can only give you recommendations? He can't give you commands? Really? Beloved, beloved, it transforms you. The Bible transforms you. 
You go, I don't feel transformed. Good. Then you should come to Christ today. Don't let anything stop you. Come to him and say, Jesus, forgive me of my sin. And be specific about that sin. I say, forgive me of my sin. But what I really mean is say to Jesus, Jesus, forgive me of what I did that Tuesday night at 3 o'clock in the morning when no one was looking. Forgive me for the money that I stole from my mother. Forgive me from the, for, the, for the lies that I told. Forgive me for, for, like the stuff that you feel like you can't ever be forgiven for. You come to Jesus with that. And allow him to transform your life. Finally, let me just say this. Beloved, if you're ever going to be transformed by Jesus, and you're ever going to be confronted by his word, here's what's going to have to happen. You're going to actually have to read it. You're actually going to have to crack it open and read it. So here's the deal. Would you? Here's something you can do tomorrow. Here's something you could do right now. You can literally say, God, I'm going to, I want to listen to your word. I want to be transformed. I can't transform me. I need you to transform me. Because the fact is, is that if I'm going to be transformed, it's the scriptures that are going to do it. So basically what I want you to do is I want you to search the scriptures and let the scriptures search you. I want you to search the scriptures and let the scriptures search you. So find a time. Find the place. Find a method. Let me give you a real easy way. When, I, when I, my wife and I um, and my family lived in an apartment that could probably fit on half the stage, it was so tiny. It was so tiny that I had a little nook. That's where I would um, like study the Bible and all that other stuff. I opened the bathroom door and it would close my little nook. It was like if the door, because the door went all the way over. That's how tiny the place was. It was so tiny. But that was my spot to read God's word. And God did so much transformation in my life from that time. But do you have a time? Do you have a place? Decide on it. For some of you, it might be you're going to get to the train station 15 minutes early and you're going to let two trains pass by so that you could sit in the train spot and just read your Bible and underline and circle and let the Bible come talk to you. For some of you, it's going to be in your bathroom. The way I first started to pray was in my bathroom. I would close the door, and I would, like, I would, have you ever shouted, but in a whisper? Like, you know, like, like oh, God, you got to help me out. This is crazy. And, you know, like, you know, like that. And it's like, you know, it's like a shout, but a whisper. And so um, I, I, I used to do that in my bathroom. But I had a, t- I had a plate. At time was when I put the kids in bed, and the place was the bathroom. Okay, wherever you is. Not right now. Right now, I have my office. You don't have an office that you can do that with? That's cool. But I was praying and reading God's word for years, decades, before that office came. Or almost a decade before the office came. So what am I saying? Get for yourself a place. Give yourself a time. And start reading God's word. You go, I don't know where to start. Start in the book of Luke and just finish the rest of the Bible. Just start in the book of Luke and finish it. You'll go Luke, John, Acts, Romans, and just keep on going. And read just little snippets at a time so that you could digest it. It's not a race. Pace yourself.
Guys, we're going to talk more about the hard sayings of Jesus, but I can, can you imagine what your, how would your recovery change if you started to read your scripture? How would your relationships change? I'm telling you, they would all change for the better. Turn to God in his word, and he'll give you direction. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much uh, for giving us your word and reminding us that in your word there is power. Lord, would you lead us, lead us according to your will and according to your way. Father, draw us to yourself and let our hearts be turned and stirred for you. Help us to know that your word is true. Help us to believe that deep down inside. Help us to know that Jesus is the point of the whole thing and not me. And then help us, oh God, to avail ourselves to it reading it, letting it transform us. For we do pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.